just over a year ago, I'm not sure if you remember, uh, I'll just move this forward a little bit so that uh, you all can see, make sure I don't slide off the edge. There we go. So, yeah, it was about a year ago. Sorry, Ariana, that's your ukulele. And that's your pen. I need more space than I thought. This is a wide load. And uh, it was about a year ago that, um, that this happened. Uh, it was n- known as the Bethlehem Star. It was known as the Christmas Star. It was, uh, the, it was the 21st of December, 2020, and all across the, the world, news outlets and social media were all talking about this moment that Saturn and Jupiter were aligning. Hands up if you remember that. Yeah? It was very exciting. And what happened in that moment is that it caused many people, whether religious or not, to think back to that moment in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, where the magi, these magicians, these wise men, uh, these astrologers, these astronomers showed up in Bethlehem to worship this five-month-old little baby Jesus. Of course, he wasn't in the manger anymore. You know, this is months later, but they showed up. And uh, so so we read this scripture, which says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who is being born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And I love this because December the 21st, 2020 was yet another confirmation from a scientific field that what is written in the Bible is true and is trustworthy. Now, I know that the Bible isn't, uh, isn't, uh, is, is, is not a textbook. It's not a science textbook and, and ever claims to be. But I love it when, uh, when science actually backs up what we read in the Bible. And so on that night in 2020, we saw Jupiter and we saw Saturn uh, line up. And, and it made this, um, made this kind of star effect that you could see. Now, 2,000 years ago in the Near East, some say that that, that star was also Jupiter and Saturn lining up. Uh, some say it was actually Jupiter and Venus, or some say it was Jupiter and Regulus from the constellation Leo. Um, N.T. Wright says that, you know, in, in, in his mind, uh, he says that it was Jupiter and Saturn, and he says uh, this. Oh, I don't have it on there, but... Uh, but I have it on my, on my Kindle. He says, since Jupiter was the royal or the kingly planet, and Saturn was sometimes thought of to represent the Jews, the, the conclusion was obvious. A new king of the Jews w- was about to be born. Nothing is more likely than the thoughtful astronomers or astrologers noticing strange signs in the heavens uh, and then searching out their earthly counterparts. So, it was a big deal, and if you, like the Magi, uh, were in the business of reading signs and portents from the sky, and if you had the vacation time, and if you had the resources, then you too may have gone on a long journey in order to find out what these, what this sign meant. Seeing this star in the sky for these, for these Persian Magi was literally an epiphany. It was a moment when 
The heavens literally shone upon these men. And that's what the word epiphany means. It means shine upon or it means reveal. When I uh, arrived in the Philippines for what would be a four-year missions trip with my family, I had an epiphany. I had a moment of realization because in my mind, I had an idea of what Asia was like. And it mostly involved chopsticks and martial arts movies. But... When when we touched down and encountered the warm, sticky air of the Philippines, and when we then drove across the city in the ship van, and we navigated our way around, you know, the taxis and the jeepneys and the tuk-tuks and the people in their thousands, all of those ideas of what I thought Asia was went out of the window, and so started this four-year process of unraveling what I thought I knew and relearning what Asia actually is, or maybe starting to learn what Asia actually is. But it started with that first drive across the city in the Philippines. This was my epiphany. So we read this. We read, Epiphany is the day and the season of the church year when we patiently watch and listen as God is quietly revealed before us once again. Sometimes, even when we try hard to do so, we just don't see God in our everyday lives or in the events of our troubled world. Epiphany gives us the time and the resources to watch, to wait, to listen, to look, to, to anticipate, and to discern the light, the life, and the truth of the Lord's presence in our midst. Amen. Amen. And in these next few weeks, as a local church, as we enter into 2022, we're going to be focusing up not on the heavens, not on Jupiter and Saturn or Jupiter and Regulus, but instead we're going to be reminding ourselves of the coming of Jesus and how his coming to earth and his coming into our headspace and our heart space sets, sets off a chain of events that changes everything. Revelation 21 verse 5 says this. Let's all read it all together. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. God is making everything new. He's in the, the renovation business. He wants to unravel what you think you know, and he wants to replace it with reality. He wants to make you new. So in, in our Christmas Eve service, we saw how God made new the lives of the shepherds, the unclean, the outsiders. And this morning, this Christmas story continues with the arrival of the magi, the foreigners, the strangers, the unclean, the outsiders. So do you think it's any accident that in the account of Christ's birth and childhood, two of the first groups of people to bow down and worship Jesus and recognize his lordship are the fringe dwellers, are the people on the outskirts. It's almost as if God goes out of his way to say to the people in the inner crowd that he's building a kingdom of outsiders. And so these so these foreign magicians, these foreign astrologers follow the signs in the heavens like their own version of Google Maps and they end up in the city of Jerusalem 
And being who they are, rich, emiss- rich emissaries from another kingdom, King Herod, also known as Herod the Great, also known as the King of the Jews, sets up a, a quiet meeting with them. After all, they're here to worship his rival, this other king of the Jews, and there can only be one king of the Jews. But first, uh, Herod does his own research. He knows this meeting with the Magi is coming, but he first does his own research. So he gets the legal experts of the land and the Bible scholars and the history scholars uh, in one group to find out more about this rival, this rival king of the Jews. When King Herod heard this, He was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the Lord, he asked them where the Messiah was was to be born in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my, my people Israel. Now, here's, here's the thing. I don't expect much of Herod. I'm not surprised that Herod is disturbed at the news of a rival, rival king of the Jews because let's just listen to what sort of a guy Herod is. One time, Herod had a mini vacation at, at his mother-in-law's house in Jericho. And while Herod's there, he makes friends with his mother-in-law's son, Aristobulus. It's a hot day, and so they go swimming in the pool. And while they're horsing around in the water, Herod's friends hold Aristobulus's head under the water. You know, like a game, like fun, like we do or we did. But they accidentally hold him underwater for too long, and he drowns. Now, this might be seen as an unfortunate accident, except that earlier, Alexandra, Herod's mother-in-law, and Aristobulus, her son, were so afraid of Herod that they tried to escape to Egypt by hiding hiding in some coffins. This is the guy that Herod was, but he found them, and they came back. Anyway, so Alexandra, Herod's mother-in-law, knows that this is no accident, that Herod murdered Aristobulus, and so she convinces her friend, known as Cleopatra, to get Mark, Mark Antony, the Roman general, to call Herod to some sort of a trial, which he, he does. And Mark Antony says to Herod, show up in Laodicea and we will figure out what the truth is. So Herod's afraid now. So he gets his uncle, Uncle Joseph, not Joseph in the Bible account, another Uncle Joseph. And so he imprisons Herod's own wife, Mariamne. And he says, if I'm sentenced, you have to kill her. His own wife. Anyway, Herod meets with Mark Antony in Laodicea and, uh, and uh, Mark Antony is, um, he's fooled by Herod's smooth, honey-like words, and Herod is sent home. His sister, Herod's sister Salome, says, my husband Joseph. So just think about this. This is Herod's uncle, Joseph, who's married to his sister, Salome. Okay? She says that your uncle Joseph had an affair with your wife, Mariamne, while you're away, Mariamne says, no, that's not true. But, but Joseph did tell me about your plan for him to kill me if you were sentenced by Mark Antony. 
Herod then loses it, and Joseph is executed without a trial. He then chains up his mother-in-law, Alexandra, and he puts her under guard. Why did I say all this to you? First, I wanted to give you a glimpse into who Herod is in the Bible, but also to show us that Herod was fighting for his throne against the Pharisees, against the Hasmoneans, against Cleopatra against the rulers of the country. So Jesus was probably not much of a thought in Herod's mind. He was an, he was a, he was maybe like a cockroach that he just had to squish. One writer calls Herod a vicious, bloodthirsty tyrant. And for vicious, bloodthirsty tyrants, what's generally the first thing on the agenda after breakfast? Eliminating threats. So Herod sets up a meeting with his private investigators, a.k.a. the chief priests and the scribes, see if there's anything to this news of the king of the Jews being born. Like I said, I don't expect much of Herod. He's living in line with his values. But the chief priests and the scribes that made up his private investigation team, well, they should have acted in a different way, I think. Okay, think about it. Herod walks up to the chief priests and the scribes asking about the prophecy of the Messiah. And they're like, yeah, 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 we know the one. Out of Bethlehem will come a ruler. And Herod's like, you mean the Bethlehem that's nine kilometers away from where we are right now? And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's the one. So they know the prophecy. They know the place. They know this interest from the Magi. And it seems that the chief priests and the scribes did absolutely nothing. It's like going from here to cars, and they did nothing. Okay, now, we don't actually know what was going on uh, in the priests and the scribes' minds. Maybe it was a busy season for them. Maybe they had family over. But they'd seen this once in a lifetime, once in a century, once in a millennia star up in the sky. And they knew of the prophecy in the book of Isaiah Chapter 60, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Herds of camels will cover your land. Young camels of Midian and Ephah and all from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. They, 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 they knew this. They must have known about this. Their job was to know this. And they knew that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. And for the five months in between Jesus' birth and the arrival of the Magi, it appears that no one from the priesthood or no one from the scribe guild made the 10-kilometer journey to look into this. Like I said, I don't know what was going through their minds, and Scripture's silent on this. But for the very ones who should have been looking for the birth of the Messiah, they missed it. And they were put to shame by an entourage of astrologers from the, from the kingdom of Persia. So you have Herod, who suspected the truth of Jesus and tried to wipe him out. And then you have the Jewish experts who should have known and they missed it. And then you have the Magi, these traveling magicians who, fueled by their own curiosity and their own resources, went to find Jesus' childhood house. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen 
And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now, I wonder what that moment was like. These rich foreigners show up to this little house there in Bethlehem. It would be like a limo showing up to your neighbor's house. And the windows are blacked out. And it has one of those little fancy car figurines on the front of the bonnet, on the front of the hood. This scene just screams money. You know, and there's a convoy of armored vehicles in front and behind. And there's, you know, and there's these men who jump out wearing these uh, fancy earpieces and, and sunglasses and black suits. You can't miss it. Who is this and why are they visiting your neighbors? And so this entourage of foreign, exotic opulence shows up. And at the center of this mob of wealth is this group of stargazing nerds. And you can tell that they're excited. They aren't, they aren't here to lord around their wealth. And as they knock on the door of this nothing house in the town of Bethlehem, you can see through your curtains that they are excited, maybe, maybe even a little bit nervous. And then the door opens and out comes your neighbor Joseph. Now, after a little chat, Joseph goes in and he brings out his wife Mary and their little baby. And these rich men see the baby, not even six months old, and they start maybe to cry, to fall on the ground, to worship. And you wonder, who is this little baby? You see, friends, just like Anna and Simeon knew in the temple, so the Magi knew that they were in the presence of Almighty God, a God who is worthy of worship. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Jesus is this five-month-old little baby, and he's starting to reach and to wriggle and to roll. Um, His his hand-to-eye coordination is improving. Um, Anything he can grab, he's at that age where he shoves it in his mouth because he wants to find out what it is. Just like any other five-month-old, he's just a baby. But the Magi see him and they know. Herds of camels will cover your land. Young camels of Midian and Ephah and all from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. Psalm 72. Why? For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. Isn't this an incredible uh, view of our Savior? He will take he, he will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. Herod, only concerned with his own kingdom, missed the prophecy. The priests and the scribes who should have known missed The prophecy, but the Magi, led by a star, fulfilled the prophecy. So Herod sent them to find this king so that they can report back to him, so that he can, quote-unquote, worship him. 
He says, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And they know that coming from Herod, knowing Herod's reputation, this is not a request. And they know that Herod's intentions are not good. They met the guy and they also had a dream about it. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And so they go home uh, via the scenic route. This roundabout way, if this was a stage production on, you know, on a stage, they would kind of slink out of this hidden, hidden, um, maybe trapdoor there at the back of the stage. In the words of one writer, unnamed, unnumbered, and guided by stars, the travelers enter and exit the narrative surrounded in mystery. Their curiosity has led them to the Christ. And I think that they probably went home changed. Advent means the coming of the Lord, the arrival of the Messiah. And this season, this, this, this season of, of epiphany means the revealing of the Messiah. And just like then, Jesus reveals himself to those who are curious, to those who are seekers. The ones who should know, the kings and the priests and the scribes, the, you know, the, the lawyers and the experts in history, they often miss out. The chief, the chief priests and the scribes got it wrong. From the moment of Jesus' birth up until the moment of Jesus' death, the chief priests and the scribes did not learn their lesson. Herod got it wrong as well. For Herod, Jesus was just an annoyance that needed to be stepped on and squished. He was a cockroach. But the one who sees the signs, whether it's an angelic choir with the shepherds or an alignment of planets with the magi, they are the ones who get to meet the Messiah. God loves making outsiders insiders. And so as we stand on this threshold of this new year, let me encourage you to allow your curiosity to lead you to Jesus. Don't be like Herod. This year, don't let your own small ambitions cause you to try to destroy Jesus' claim over your life. There is only one king of the Jews, and it was Jesus. And there's only one king of your life, and it's not you. And don't be like the priests and the scribes who were so blinded by fear or self-preservation that they missed the Messiah that was there on their doorstep. Instead, let me encourage you to be curious, to ask questions, to invest your time and resources in getting to know this man, Jesus Christ, this God, Jesus Christ, this God who loves making insiders out of outsiders. And so I would encourage you this year in 2022 to go on your own quest, to ask God to shine upon you, for God to to light your way that he would give you your own epiphany, that he would reveal the truth of who he is in your life, that he would take you on a journey of discovery, an adventure of discovery. Let's close with this scripture. God marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Why? God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from any one of us. Let's pray.
Lord, I pray that, uh, that we would seek you out, that we would not just sit on our haunches, that we would not just rest on our laurels, Lord, but that we would have the heart of the explorer, that, uh, that, that we would not just be satisfied with the Jesus we knew when we were saved, but that we would grow and we would follow you. We would see your footsteps and we would walk in them, that we would take up our cross and that we would follow you. Lord, that, that, uh, that, that your claim over our lives would be the single most important thing. Lord, that we would, Lord, would you uh, save us from viewing ourselves as um, as the chosen, as the insiders. Lord, instead, may we rejoice that you make outsiders into insiders, that you see the shepherds on the hillside and you see the magi over there in Persia and you say, I want you. Lord, Lord and would you show us how to um, maximize this message of you making outsiders into insiders in our own lives and that we would see those around us who are outsiders who think God would never want me and that uh, we would say to them actually if you look at the Bible you're exactly the sort of person that God wants let me show you how to meet my friend Jesus Lord may this be a year of exploration of seeking you, of allowing your light to shine on us. May we have an epiphany. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.